0: Alrighty. good morning good morning everyone um it's quite a crowd we have and i'm sure more people will be filing in as we get going um but today uh is class number eight of our equipping our series on the sermon on the mount uh we will we have been in matthew 5 to now 6 and we'll be going to the end of Matthew 7, uh, just following Christ's uh, sermon on the Mount and his teachings there. Um, if you haven't already, there's uh, little handouts next to the sound booth, so you can go ahead and grab yourself one. Um, but before we get into it, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful to you for today um, we thank you for your mercies and your grace each day anew um, God I thank you for bringing these people here and uh, blessing us with the church to gather in uh, we thank you for um, this equipping our series and how it's already been such a blessing to those of us who have been participating and listening um, and we pray for the rest of it that it may be edifying to us um, God, I pray for those who are still on their way that you would help them get here safely. Um, and Lord, we, we pray that you would um, open up our eyes and our ears and soften our hearts to receive um, the truths that you have for us today, Lord. I pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word. Lord, as we've been learning about motives and inner heart posture, I pray that you would rid me of any um ulterior motives other to be other than to be faithful to your word Um, and lord i pray that you would bless this time uh, speak clearly through me lord and i pray these things in christ's name amen all right so as you can see and as i mentioned today our uh, lesson will be on the lord's prayer so this would be matthew 6 chapter 6 verse 9 through 15 if you want to go ahead and turn to there um you'll notice that actually last week uh our brother chen Wei uh he spoke on matthew 6 1 uh, verses 1 through 21 uh so the lord's prayer is actually right kind of in the middle of uh his passage Uh, but he graciously skipped over it so that i could uh, prepare it and teach it to you guys um but before we get into the prayer itself i think uh There's some due diligence that we have to um, kind of recap and review what we learned last week as uh, it will have uh, influence and it has uh, a purpose for us going into the Lord's Prayer. Um, So last week we talked about motives and rewards. Um, There were three kind of pillars of Judaism, um, three kind of practical practical things that Christ calls Christians and disciples disciples to do. Um, Of course, they are giving to the needy, or almsgiving. There's prayer and fasting. Um, Of course, the Lord's Prayer falls under uh, the practice of prayer. Um, But in Chen Wei's passage, or in the section that we learned about last week, uh, there is a couple verses that kind of lead into the prayer itself. So if we look at verse five uh, of chapter six verses five to six kind of address uh jesus jesus is addressing the hypocrites um we learned last week that means just people who are double-minded they say what they they say one thing and they do another thing um in this case it might even be they say one thing they do the same thing but in their hearts is a totally different thing um so jesus is calling out the hypocrites there and saying that they like to pray out on the street corners. They like to be loud and make themselves known. Um, Jesus says that the reward has already been given to them, as in the praise or the the power or authority that they're seeking to to have for themselves. That's already been given to them. And Jesus juxtaposes that with saying that we, in verse 6, should go into our room and shut the door and pray in secret to our Father who is in secret, and he will reward us. Um, so we have there this uh, kind of practical advice or practical suggestion that Jesus gives us um, in light of the hypocrite's wrong example and then as we go into verse 7 Chen Wei rightfully pointed out that there's a kind of a break in pattern uh, here in this whole passage Um, we've been having a bad example from the hypocrites and then a good example to follow that uh, Christ's provides but here we have a second bad example um, as it centers around the gentiles which is kind of the first mention of them in this passage first and only um, which i think there is a, a rightful place to look into that because of what they are doing with prayer so if we read into verse seven it says that and when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the gentiles do For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Um, So last week, we kind of learned what that means, which is the Gentiles, um, of course, they're not praying to God. um, But they're praying to their idols. They're praying to their uh, false gods, if you can call them that. Uh, Chen Wei gave the example of, like, people in the New Testament, in Rome. uh, They were praying to, like, Greek goddesses and gods like Artemis and Diana and... uh, Idols of that nature. Um, There was also the example of the Old Testament where Elijah was facing off against the prophets of Baal, and they were praying to Baal for hours and hours. Um, And so we have, again, idols that are being prayed to. Um, Both kind of have the theme of these Gentiles are praying very extensively. They might be following some kind of ritual when they pray. Um, It's almost as if the more they pray or the more spiritually they have their prayer come off as uh, that they will be rewarded or their prayers will be answered um, and that's kind of the attitude and the motive that they have for their heaping of words and many words that they're using um, so yeah those are the two examples and then Christ says do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him and then we get to our passage today in verse 9. Pray then like this. Um, before I get into uh, the prayer itself, I think it's it's right that we study this these four words actually a little bit. Uh, in, in various translations, it's uh, not too different. Um, the, the meaning is still the same. Uh, there's the King James, uh, New King James, I think they get a little wordy with it, like, so therefore, in this way, pray, uh, something like that. or But the the effect is still the same. Um, this is a kind of command. Um, this is a suggestion of Christ, not a suggestion, a, a command and an instruction uh, for us to copy or to emulate what is about to follow. Um, but saying that, I do want to have us keep in mind a couple things as we get into the prayer. Um, And it's one, that the prayer is not a formula, um, but it is something, a prayer to be emulated. And what I mean by that is that um, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer word for word. Uh, I don't want to say that at all, because that is not true at all. Um, But it isn't that we have to follow this like a script when we pray. Uh, it, It isn't, a an instruction from Christ to pray the Lord's Prayer and then we can add our stuff to the end or after following that or um, no other prayers in the world are, are right or correct um, but this is merely Christ giving us this example um, a very solid very just full and uh, biblically rich example to emulate and to incorporate into our own lives and kind of following that is a second point to keep in mind, which is the theme of wholeness and completeness that we've kind of been going through um, throughout the sermon, right? Um, early on, we learned about this, this word teleos, uh, which, which gives us the idea of completeness and wholeness um, in the sense that we are not to be uh, double-faced people as disciples of Christ, Uh, Christ wants our whole heart. He wants us to be um, in line with what he teaches. Um, And he doesn't want us to stray from that. He doesn't want us to have ulterior motives or secondary agendas that we have as we live our lives and, in this case, as we pray. So, again, things to keep in mind. It's just uh, something to emulate. And, of course, there is a heart and motives kind of Point that we're going to keep going back to with each point of the prayer. Um, so, yeah, does anyone have any questions before we get into it? All right, if not, uh, we'll get into the introduction. On your outline, I, I kind of uh, spaced them out as like verses. So, each section heading, you'll see I have verses there. Uh, Part of what this uh, this prayer, the Lord's prayer, is designed to be, it's it's succinct. Um, it's directly in opposition to how the Gentiles pray, which is with many words. Um, if you look at the Lord's prayer, um, it's it's only it's only like seven verses long. Actually, no, it's uh, five verses if you don't include uh, the bottom two, 14 and fifteen, which I'll get to later. Um, so it's only five verses long, and each phrase and each petition that's being made there from Christ is really short, and it's really to the point. Um, I'm not going to say that there's nothing to study there, because we'll see soon that there's a lot to unpack in each phrase, but it's very short. Christ doesn't beat around the bush with what he's petitioning for. Um, so that's something to keep in mind as we go forward uh, and study this. Um, So yeah, we'll get into the prayer um, and we'll skip the first word, actually. Um, first word, if you noticed in the prayer, says our, our Father in heaven. Um, I, If you look in your handout again, in the conclusion portion, I said conclusion for us in quotes. Uh, and you might, some of your brain juices might be going and you might already kind of see where I'm going to head with that. Um, but we're going to leave that towards the end. Uh, as a good way to wrap us up. For now, we're just going to head right into uh, Father in Heaven. Um, Father in Heaven, this this idea is not new uh, to the Bible. It definitely is used a lot more in the New Testament. Um, But in the Old Testament, it's it's there. It's just very rare. Um, But this idea of a Heavenly Father uh, to the Jewish audience that Christ is preaching to would kind of be new to them. Uh, it would be a little bit unfamiliar. It would be a little strange, if you want to call it that. Um, they would be a little hesitant, maybe, to call uh, the, the the God that they worship Father. Um, but there's a lot of truth, a lot of rich truth in uh, Christ addressing this prayer to the Father in heaven. Um, if you think about the idea of a Father, we'll break it down. Uh, what comes to mind when you think of maybe an earthly father, a good earthly father? I'll I'll say. <laughs> what comes to mind when someone says father? Protective. Christy says protective. Example from Sherry. Caretaker from Anna Lee. Anything else? Wilson says, someone who gives us what we need. Yeah. I'll throw one out there, too. Um, what about intimacy or closeness or even relationship? Um, father, this idea of a father suggests and uh, insinuates that there is children or there are people, little people under the father, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um, and that... that that points to this intimacy intimacy and closeness that Christ here is calling upon and Christ is teaching to his disciples to call upon. Uh, I mentioned earlier the, the Jewish audience that was listening is probably more used to um, a bigger and scarier version of God uh, that they worship, that they know brings judgment. They certainly know provides. Uh, they certainly know loves them. But there might be this lack of are less of an emphasis on the intimacy of God. Um, And so Christ uses Father here to evoke that idea in their minds uh, and remind them of it. And then he immediately follows that up with heaven, our Father in heaven. Um, And you might be thinking, well, heaven, we know that Christ is here to proclaim the kingdom of God. um, And with that, uh, there's the consummation of heaven But heaven is a very otherworldly kind of concept. We have the very close and intimate Father, and then Christ immediately follows it with heaven, which is, of course, not here on earth in fullness right now. So why do you think it is that Christ puts heaven and Father together? As in Father in heaven or heavenly Father?
1: Tim?
2: Just thought that um you know you might have a father like an earthly father that he's very close and affectionate, but has you know, like an earthly father has a lot of limits, like we're very birthy. So there's this idea of he's close he loves us, but then having time seems to be made transcendence or brand new, like he's that God
0: above all heaven and earth, and he's So so Tim says that with the combination of uh, Father and Heaven, we have the closeness that's coupled with this transcendence that God has. Um, And I would argue that if you put those together uh, as the reality of the God that we pray to and worship, um, that is an incredible truth that we have. It's just something that you can't receive from a God that is separate from us, and something that we can't receive from just an earthly father, right? Christ is calling upon God as the heavenly father precisely because the combination of these two realities just gives his prayer that much more oomph or that much more power and weight behind it. Um, And that's how he just starts off the prayer. Uh, We address our prayers to maybe you pray to like you open your prayer with God or heavenly father, Dear Heavenly Father, Father in Heaven, Father. um, And Christ chooses to use Father in Heaven here, I think, exactly to prove and provide that point to the disciples. It's an incredibly weighty and rich truth that he provides right from the get-go, and it's intended to flow over the rest of the prayer, as we'll see soon. Um, Yeah, does anyone have any questions on that before we get into some of the petitions? Analee. With the contrast between father and
1: father also mm-hmm. heaven is the distant, That
0: also about also balance, balance, um, on one side. Hmm. Focus. Powers. So Analee is asking. Um, when Christ uses Father in heaven, is it kind of like a balancing act that we want to acknowledge that Father, meaning intimate and close, versus uh, heaven, which is not yet here, but something to look forward to? Um, And what was the second part of your question? asking is it like a balance that we're addressing or is it just to showcase Christ or God's power the father's power in answering prayer um okay and Christina asks is it to differentiate between father in heaven and our earthly fathers and I would say it's probably uh in order for us to pray um or I guess if God were just God without a relationship with us, uh, I don't really see an obligation or, or need for him to answer our prayers or there's no there's no like love behind the prayer uh, he, he would just kind of be just like an almighty like genie that has the power to grant wishes and stuff um, but there's no relationship there's no love that motivates it or is uh giving it power and and meaning um so in the same way that an earthly father maybe he's able to uh love you uh as much as he can but he wouldn't be able to do all the things that you you ask of him um and certainly would fall short in many things um but yeah good questions all right, let us uh, get into the petitions. So I'm going to zoom through them. Uh, you'll see that this first section, a Godward orientation that I have is a little bit bigger than the others. Um, we just went over a recipient of prayer, but we'll get into the petitions and I'll kind of zoom through them um, because of the nature of what they ask. Uh, and you'll see very shortly what that means. We have uh, our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name, would be the first petition. Um, Hallowing—does anyone know what hallowing means? Uh, just, just out of curiosity, because it is uh, definitely not a common everyday word that we use. <laughs> to hallow, I heard holy, and yeah, it it is that. It's to make something holy, to sanctify something. Um, To set it apart, to revere it, to honor it, um, is essentially what uh, hallowed means. Um, And as you'll see as we get into more of the sermon, there's a lot of things that kind of come into question. So why does God's name need to be made holy? Like, Why do we need to ask for his name to be hallowed or ask for it to be set apart? Um, and I would say that it's uh, it's a lot of these petitions here, at least, are not that God is being thwarted. It's not that there are obstacles in his way. Uh, it's not that God isn't holy. Um, but it's a petition uh, for us to recognize. Um, again, we're going back to the idea of motives, right? Or going back to the ideas of our heart posture when we pray, Um and it's almost as if we are asking God to make his name holy, make him holy, um, make us realize that he's holy in our own hearts. So even as we go into your kingdom come and your will be done, it's not as if, uh, God's kingdom is not coming. It's not like his rulership is, uh, shared by any other power on the earth. It's not that it's rivaled by anyone. Uh, it's not that God's will is not being done, um, but it's the realization for ourselves that it is being done and we're asking God uh, please continue to do this Um, we see it being done and Christ again he evokes God's name in the beginning uh, with that kind of grand and rich truth um, and follows it with these petitions to kind of bolster the idea that these things are happening they're not going to be stopped Um, and it is the Christian posture in our hearts to want more of this um, is what these petitions are. And as we get into on earth as it is in heaven, uh, there again, we have kind of a new concept again. If you can imagine with me in heaven, um, God, of course, is the king, not that he isn't king over everything, but in, in heaven is very, very clear that he's king he's ruling up there, his will is being done, Um, and of course his name is being hallowed. He is revered in heaven um, versus the reality that is on earth, right? We have sin in the world. Uh, We ourselves are of sinful nature. Um, The circumstances and the world we live in just is broken. Um, People do not revere God. Uh, People do not uh, want his kingdom. People want their own kingdoms. And people, of course, ourselves included, want our own wills to be done. We want our own wisdom to be enacted. We want our own purposes to be furthered. Um, but the idea of heaven and earth here that is being suggested is uh, it's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, we already kind of touched on it through uh, studying our Father in heaven. But here again, this idea of heaven and earth is kind of being brought together by Christ here. Um, all three petitions are fully happening in heaven, uh, but the, the way we understand it is they're not yet fully reality here on earth. And I'll, I'll quote uh, an author, or Dr. Pennington, uh, in his book on the Sermon on the Mount. He says that it is not as if God is not the king over the earth, but the reality in this broken and rebellious age is that while God is sovereign, his perfect, peaceful righteousness has not yet consumed all of his creation. Um, and I think that word consumed is a pretty, pretty powerful word there, right? As we know, uh, Christ proclaiming the kingdom of God, um, eventually there, is, there will be a consummation of the earth by the heavens, Uh, And we already see parts of that here in people coming to faith in Christ. Uh, We see these things that Christ is petitioning for, like God's name being hallowed. There are parts and bits of it happening on earth. It's just that it's not the full, entire picture that we are yearning for, that we're praying for here. Um, Again, he's still sovereign. Nothing is stopping him. Nothing is preventing God from moving forth. It's not that God is not powerful or omnipotent. Um, It's just that this reality uh, has been inaugurated by Christ. It started um, and is coming to completion until he returns again. Uh, That was a lot. So does anyone have any questions on that little, little big section there? Any clarification on what exactly earth and heaven means there? (laughs) Smokey? It's a little tricky. So a bit of what Smokey was saying was uh, he was focusing in on the petitions and one of them being uh, your will be done. It's not something, of course, we don't want to pray with our own will in mind. Uh, We shouldn't even justify, kind of tweak it like, well, it kind of aligns with God's uh, to do this at church or do this for the church. Um, But truly to seek God's will and his purposes, uh, as Smokey mentioned, in and through scripture as it's revealed in there uh, through Christ, um, but to really pray for them to come to fruition, um, and have that yearning, hopefulness, uh, looking forward to the heavens consuming the earth, is a uh, kind of what Smokey said. <laughs> So to kind of close our opening section, I will hit you with even more rich truths. <laughs> We're already kind of floored by the heavenly father and the idea of what that means. We're already, already looking forward to heaven consuming the earth. Um, and you might be wondering after I went through those three petitions really fast, like, so are they the same thing? Are they all one idea? Um, what exactly, like, we see what they mean, but what are their, what is their relationship to each other, uh, if there is any? Um, and I would say that these three things, hallowing God's name, his kingdom coming, his will be done, um, there is distinction, of course, in what they mean individually, um, but there's so much relationship between uh, the reality of what they are. And I'll give some examples of, um, of kind of the, I I called it the interplay between these three petitions. Um, So my first example would kind of be hallowing God's name, right, making it holy, uh, revering it, um, puts his reign or his kingdom, his rulership into right perspective. We would not want to worship a king who is earthly. We wouldn't want to worship a king uh, who is not deserving of this title of being holy, the holy of holies. Uh, it just doesn't, doesn't make his kingdom or his rulership all that appealing. Uh, if I'm being honest, and then we can move on to God's omnipotent reign. So his power in his kingship um, means that his will will be done without hindrance. There's nothing that can stop the Lord uh, from uh, reigning. There's nothing, there's no rivals as I mentioned earlier to God uh, he, he is the sole king of the world. And of course, um, his purpose, as we pray for his will to be done, his purpose is for his name to be made known and to be honored and revered um, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, so you kind of see the three, the three petitions there. They, they lend themselves to each other. Um, and I think rightfully so, as Christ intended them to be. Uh, they kind of pile on more and more rich truth into uh, i 'll call it christ 's little opening to the prayer to the lord 's prayer um, and they leave you kind of in the spot of of all uh, if you really sit there and meditate on them um, so yeah does anyone have any other questions on this first opening section before we get in, get into verse uh, verse eleven. If not, let us dive in. So continuing, uh, this theme of earthliness and heaven, uh, it's kind of interesting to me that I notice we kind of pivoted from focusing on God, this God word orientation, to now in verses 11, 12, and 13, these next petitions uh, pertain to things of this earth. Right? We have, give us this day our daily bread, um, so this physical need that's being met, we have uh, relationships with others, whether it's uh, forgiving, um, forgiving us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, um, and leading us not into temptation and delivering us from the evil one. These are all things that are happening on earth. Um, so even that, uh, Christ is just keeping up the, this rich imagery that he introduced already. Um, and as we get into verse 11, uh, we'll see more of that. And we'll recognize that as he's continuing this theme, he's also, again, calling us to have the right heart as we pray. So as we get into verse 11, um, give us this day our daily bread. Giving us bread, um, as I mentioned before, is just a physical need that we're asking to be met. Um, Provision, if if you'll call it that. Um, But I do want to focus more on the word daily. So, of course, we know uh, this is pretty clear that we're praying for uh, physical provision. But why daily? And to that, I'll call us to Exodus 16. Uh, You don't have to flip there. But uh, I do want to see if anyone can summarize the story of manna, uh, the Israelites and manna in the wilderness. So some of you guys... Hopefully, a lot of you guys do know that story. What exactly? What can someone summarize that story um, of manna and why it's significant?
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. So the story goes um israelites are being led by moses in the wilderness uh they are complaining as per usual uh, this time for food um and moses uh, or god provides them manna or bread from heaven uh the nature of which it appears each day in the morning god commands them to collect it for only the day's need um and only for the day and his promise is that he'll provide it every day. But, of course, uh, as the Israelites, some of them learned the hard way, they tried to harbor it and collect the surplus so that they could be ready for the next day or the week. Um, but when they woke up the next morning, uh, worms are eating their manna. And it's just spoiled. They can't do anything with it. It's ruined. Um, and that, uh, if you, I'll read from Exodus 16, uh, 35, it says, The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Um, so, what I want to hone in on there is they ate the manna for 40 years, which is how long they were in the wilderness. Uh, when I turned back to the store while I was studying, I had forgotten that God had provided the manna for 40 years. And no doubt, God didn't just like dump it all on them on day one as we see in the story but daily god provides this bread from heaven to them as he sees fit he knows their need if we even look at uh go back to sermon on the mount chapter 6 um earlier uh verse 7 or verse 8 sorry uh what does it say there after um after Jesus talks about the Gentiles. So in verse 8, can someone read that verse for us? 6-8. Thanks, Josh. It says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, God provides based on what He knows of your need. It's not that we, know, we think we know what we need, and then we ask, like, Oh, God, maybe you could give me two loaves of that nice bread from, like, Safeway today. Um, but God, in his wisdom and in, in his omniscience, he knows what we need for the day. Um, but even reading that, we, we come across uh, a bit of a hairy issue. We're, we're satisfied with knowing that God provides uh, for our physical need, But what does it say in verse? If we look a little past the sermon, what does it say in verse twenty-five of chapter six? Can someone read that?
2: Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor
0: about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. All right, so probably some of us, or if not most of us, know this passage pretty well on uh, do not be anxious that Christ uh, teaches his disciples. But here it says, do not worry, <laughs> do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. So why is Christ praying about daily provision then if we ought not to worry about it? What is, what is he doing there? Um, and I would argue that he is calling for a heart change. Again, we're going to keep hammering this idea of our heart posture when we pray. Um, that's been repeatedly uh, emphasized by Christ. But what is our heart, or rather, what should our heart be, or what should our heart look like, and what should our intentions be when we shouldn't be anxious about our everyday food, but we also should be petitioning for provision, and I would say, it's how we see God, right? If we are praying to him for provision, already planning and already kind of maybe even worrying about today's food, um, what does that say about God? Does that say that God will fail? Will it, does, is it, does he not have enough food for us? Is he unable to provide? Um, but Christ here, again, is just tackling our heart issue of when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, our hearts should acknowledge that God is able and capable of providing and that there needs to be a dependence uh, that his disciples are characterized by. Right? There needs to be a humble dependence, I would even add. Uh, we ought not to pray to God, knowing that he'll provide and trusting that he'll provide, but I'll help you along the way, God. I'll go and make my own provisions as well and then you can just add on top of that when you're ready there needs to be this humble dependence that uh we have as disciples as Christ's people as we come before him in prayer again definitely if you are in need of provision pray for it um but of course don't worry about it uh, don't get anxious about it and of course don't be presumptuous and don't uh doubt God at all uh, when you are praying for, for provision does anyone have any questions or thoughts about that section there or what I just talked about Chen where does saving money and resources play into this I'll, I'll be honest I uh, haven't even begun to think about saving money all that much in my life stage uh, but I'm willing to hear what anyone else has to say. <laughs> I do save a little bit, don't worry. <laughs> Just not that much. So Chenwei's question is: How do we come to terms with like savings and stuff? David. So David brings up uh, Philippians 4, uh, where we're called to pray uh, in supplication and thanksgiving to God. Of course, we ask him for things, and we give him. But we also give him thanks for things that we have. Um, and that whole passage there is a call for us, again, not to be anxious about it. Uh, with this kind of undergirding theme that we are dependent and trusting in God, and knowing that he is a good God, a good Father, who provides for us and knows our need again. Tim?
2: You know, on that point, too, I think the Proverbs talk about you know, the diligent little ant that scores up in the winter and commends that. But then, sort of a, a kind of corruption of that, you know, kind of a, a, a twisting of that, is in Luke, Jesus talks about the man who has all these amazing crops and he, he's, he makes this big barn to hold all his crops. And he's like sitting back at ease going, Man, look, I've got this barn full of food, like nothing can touch me. And Jesus. One of the parable is, yes, something will touch you. And so, um, I I think, you know, what Proverbs is calling us to, it sounds like, isn't that, isn't being that self-satisfied, being with a big barn, sitting back and self-sufficient. But it's coupled with this, I am saving up like a little man, but God's got me. And I'm going to instill Him every day. And then Jesus also in that, in Luke, he says, this is for those who aren't rich
1: toward God. Mm -hmm. This idea of
2: save but I need God and I'm going to be
0: willing to give I'm going to be willing to be heard yeah so Tim brings up the story in Luke where uh, a man stores up a lot in his barn and he thinks that he's untouchable Um, but our our point here as we're learning about the daily bread is not that um, not that we don't save of course but if saving and financial goals and motives are our main motives in our hearts, uh, I would call them even if there are gods that we're worshiping, then we're in a we we have something else to worry about, and it's not money. Um, we have something far greater because not only are we seeing our financial goals or practices as as gods and we're worshiping them, but I when I was studying, I was imagining if the Israelites had gotten all the manna for 40 years on that one day, how would they see themselves? They would probably see themselves in a pretty powerful, rich, almost godly position. They would be, in a sense, in their own hearts, unstoppable. They could provide for themselves. I'm sure even for ourselves in our daily life, we don't have to have 40 years worth of manna, but uh, when we are providing well for ourselves, there's a temptation to feel like, well, I don't need God as much this week or this month because the paycheck or the commission was good. Uh, maybe next month when it gets a little rough or when uh, the holidays kind of blow past and business is not as hot, uh, maybe I'll need it and I'll pray to God then. But uh, essentially what you're doing is, is making yourself a God. You're not... You're not worshiping god as he rightfully is as he is the prov- provider for our lives um so yeah thank you for your guys questions with that we'll we'll speed along into verse 12 um verse 12 we have forgive forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors um So we know from Scripture that we we come to God and ask for forgiveness of our sins. It is no secret that we are sinners and that there is uh, sin on behalf of others that we pray for as well, uh, that we ask for mercy for. Uh, But what I want to hone in on here is this this small little two-letter word, as, here. Oh, boy. (laughs) Like, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven as, as we also have forgiven our debtors, are we asking God to forgive us like we forgive people? Is that the the question here, or the petition here? And uh, thankfully, it's not. Because <laughs> if God forgave us as we forgave others, or in the same manner, or in the same way that we forgive others, uh, we would be in a lot of trouble. But thankfully, again, this this as, this word here, In the original language, is not so much like a comparison, uh, not so much as like if this, then this. Um, But if we turn to uh, the story, I'm not gonna have us turn there, but the story of the unforgiving servant. Right? We we'll see. Basically, what happens in that story is that um, a servant owes his master uh, a debt. Uh, even as we're seeing here, the word debt. Uh, they owe their master a debt. Their master is very gracious and forgives them the entirety of their debt. And what does that servant turn around and go and do? Does anyone know? Yeah. Another, one
1: that, another one that owed him money and he put him in prison because he wouldn't pay. He didn't forgive him.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He The, the servant whose debt has been forgiven turns around and throws another servant into jail because that servant owed servant A money. Uh, he was merciless. He was unforgiving in that situation. Uh, and what happens to that initial servant is that his master his master was told of what had happened and his master reprimands him in short. Um, and let me turn there really quick. Because we'll see at the the end of this story here, um, we'll see at the very end that there is there's a little hope. Or not a little hope, there is hope. We're going to uh, chapter 18, verse 35, sorry. Uh, that is where the story is. So th- verse 35 says, So also my Heavenly Father, this is Christ talking, will do to you every... One- Due to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So again, we're we're called to forgive our brothers for their debt or their sin. Uh, we can see it as, in this case, trespasses. trespasses yeah, but where does uh, where does our forgiveness come from? How do we know how to forgive and who to forgive? And how do we know to forgive at all? And that's through our Father, right? Um, So this idea, this word as, that's giving us so much trouble is not so much saying that we should forgive, or the Father should forgive us as we forgive others, or in the same way, but we, being filled and full of the Lord's forgiveness and mercy, then go out to pour upon others the mercy that we received is what this verse is getting at. And as a result, then, we ask for more mercy from the Father. Um, There's a very important distinction there uh, that I can see being twisted in many ways in verse 12. But even that, isn't that such a wonderful truth? Right? What does that mean for us? How can we apply that to ourselves um, it's to recognize first and foremost, of course, we sin, but there is mercy that we receive from God. How how wonderful is that? We learned of, again, the Heavenly Father who is in heaven, but yet at the same time close to us because he's our Father. And this Heavenly Father provides abundant mercy to us. Uh, just on the way to church today, I was listening to his mercy is more. And his mercy is indeed more than what we could show our earthly brothers and sisters. His mercy and his forgiveness is way, 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 way more than anything that we could conjure up for uh, people who have debt owed to us.
1: We have to realize, too, that the Lord does not lead us into temptation
0: at all anyway. Yes, yes. So Lamar is saying we have to realize we shouldn't, uh, we realize that the Lord does not lead us into temptation, which we'll get into. Um but does anyone have any questions for verse 12 and the idea of forgiving that smoky? so Smokey is pointing to uh the idea of receiving mercy and forgiving others or crying out for forgiveness in colossians um that's a bit contrasted and can prove to be an obstacle for some people who let's uh, say don't see themselves as worthy of forgiveness or find it uh fall into that trap that same trap of forgiving people as they forgive others uh But, of course, the truth that is still resonated there is that the Lord is merciful um, and that we ought to see him as that. Uh, We, of course, we acknowledge our sin, but in our sinfulness, we can't just be bogged down uh, and weighed down by our sin. On the other hand, we can't just disregard our sin uh, as the unfaithful and unforgiving servant did. He just, if he were if he were struck by his own sin and came to the reality of his sin, I don't think he would have been so harsh to the other servant, but it was exactly because uh, he didn't see the mercy, or he didn't realize the reality of the mercy that he received that he went on to show another brother no mercy at all. Um, And that's kind of the takeaway that we have for ourselves, is that we have to first and foremost realize sin, and of course, God's mercy in light of that sin his grand mercy and through that that's how we pour onto others is what it's saying as we forgive the debts of others um and then we can ask for more mercy because that is the god that we worship um so let's go right along uh or before we go along i'll i'll add that verse 14 and 15 and we'll just skip ahead really quickly there because uh, that is not part of the prayer it is not like a, the prayer itself um, but verse 14 and 15 is actually um, Christ's explanation of the prayer so as a way to conclude his prayer um, he explains this part of the prayer that might be confusing to others so in verse 14 and 15 he says for if you forgive others their trespasses you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So verse 14 and 15 kind of mirror each other uh, with the words but and neither. Um, but essentially, this word trespasses, as we as we understand debt to be sin, trespasses uh, is almost a more specific sin that has to deal with the relationships we have with others. So it's almost like Christ is hammering home and acknowledging Like, I know you guys have your own sin that you're struggling with, but there are sins that affect others that come against your brothers and sisters. And so he's making sure not to leave that out, uh, making sure to point to that in his prayer is what the function of 14 and 15 is. So yeah, let's get along to uh, the last petition. Petition. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is verse 13. Um, immediately, we can look to James, uh, James 1. Does God lead us into temptation, according to James 1? Is God capable of tempting us? Satan does that. Right, Lenard says Satan does that, and God is certainly, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't tempt us at all. All right, so we have that truth, but what happened to Christ uh, in the wilderness after he gets baptized and he proclaims the kingdom of God? Who actually leads him into the wilderness to be tempted? And you can look to chapter 4 of Matthew for that. Who is it that leads him into the wilderness? Not quite. Yeah, verse 1 of chapter 4 in Matthew says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So James says that God doesn't tempt us. But then it's very clear here, uh, the temptation is being offered by Satan, of course. But God, as the Spirit, leads Christ into this place to be tempted. So how do we come to, come to terms of that? Um, which I would say, the the word here um, for temptation is not just temptation, but testing. Um, it's Christ here is describing and uh, petitioning for not that God. He's not. Christ is not saying at all that God tempts us, but Christ is saying and petitioning that we may not be led by God into these circumstances where we may be tempted. Um, he's requesting that God lead not his disciples into situations where where they are exposed to the evil one's temptations. Um, and this is contrasted with Christ himself. Uh, we need to pray this uh, very fervently, but Christ, when he's in the wilderness being tempted, Christ has has the power. Christ knows how to defend himself against the devil. Christ is without sin. Uh, In that way, he's able to fend off temptation, uh, even directly from Satan himself. But for us, there is a need for us to cry out to God, for him not to lead us into situations where we may be exposed to evil or temptations to sin. Does that kind of makes sense does anyone have any questions on that part Thank you Lord Yes Yeah, there's a there's an aspect of temptation and uh, trials as we'll throw in there, where we're being refined through these trials. Uh, of course, when we face temptations, um, I forget where, but off the top of my head, in the in the in the epistles, it's mentioned that we don't face any temptations that is not known to man. And of course, God provides for our need, and He knows our limitations in those temptations. So in that way, that they are kind of trials that we go through, um, sometimes we lead ourselves into more, uh, into spaces where there are more of those temptations than others, and uh, I would not recommend doing that, and neither does Christ here, Um, but he does point us to this petition as, again, a dependence on God. Again, we are focusing on the heart, Christ is wanting our heart to be dependent on God, Uh, previously for physical provision, but now for spiritual provision, for faith, right? We ask God um, to protect our faith, to protect us spiritually. Um, Here it says in verse 13, it says, from evil, but you might have a footnote, and it says, the evil one. Um, Regardless of whether it is evil itself or the evil one, uh, we need protection from that. We're just sinful human beings. We're weak in our flesh. but that is exactly why Christ calls us to uh, call out to the Heavenly Father again to protect us, the, the Heavenly Father who wants to, who is able to, and who has the power and love, again, to protect us from the evil one and who knows how, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, does anyone have any questions on that section? Tim? You just said us from the evil one.
1: Mm-hmm. Is he mm-hmm. talking about evil as this generic, like, keep us from sinning, or
0: like, evil people from have to us, or he said the evil one? Is it the footnote says it could the evil one? Do you have a take on that? So, my, my take would be uh, that it is the evil one, um, just because. Uh, through a little reading like the original language points more towards the evil one um, as it kind of echoes uh, what Christ went through in the wilderness. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's that's how I would take it as the evil one there. Yes, Christina. Practically, what's the new and one? Practically. Um, As we know in the world, uh, there is Satan, whose dominion is on earth. Um, So that would, of course, be the evil one. But then we are also faced with evil from other sources in the world. I would uh, say even our own sinfulness, protect us from our own sinfulness, as almost a call to ask God to renew us, to to cleanse our heart. Um, So I think that would be the, the slight nuance there is what Christine was asking between evil and the evil one. All right, so with that, we are finally at my uh, conclusion that I gave a sneak peek for earlier. So the conclusion is, uh, ironically, we are going back to the very first word in in the prayer, which is our. Does anyone want to take a stab at why we want to focus on the word our here as we conclude the prayer.
1: Because we're all sinners.
0: Omar says because we're all sinners. It's true. We're born that way. We're born that way. Sinful nature. Mm-hmm. Why else would the prayer start with our? Yeah. Gary? Coming, you know, if you say that, then I think I a lot of references in, say, especially in the Old Testament, where they would say,
1: uh, pray to your God instead of maybe I can pray as well, but you pray to your God that he, that he will help me overcome this battle or something like this. It was not this personal,
2: didn't seem to be this personal relationship among many people in the Old Testament, which probably this, this was being preached to the Jews, this is what they they didn't have this personal relationship. It was always your God, pray mm. to your God. Sam pray to your God. That, you know, so I think this uh, kind of counters that idea I mean, this is our God. You are included
0: in this. Yeah, so so Gary points to Old Testament where uh people are told to pray to your God. Uh there's a bit of a disconnect there, and Gary finishes that with saying, This is our God now, uh, and I would agree. Did you have a. Oh, okay, sorry, that was Tyler. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so Tyler's got it. It's, as you notice, it's not just our, but we ask for, give us this daily bread, our daily bread, uh, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors, lead us not into temptation. So there's a communal aspect to this. Um, this isn't just Christ opening up the prayer saying, My Father in heaven, just me, singular, uh, me alone, my Father alone, but this is a communal hour. Uh, an invitation to all his disciples to uh, pray together, to petition to God together. Uh, We don't have to gather weekly to pray the Lord's Prayer exactly as it is together, Um, but we're called to pray together, and we're called to, as many themes have come up in the the prayer, uh, we're called to remind each other of the hallowing of God's name, his kingdom coming, his will be done, remind each other of the truths that this prayer offers, remind each other of the heart motives that we ought to have as we pray. Um, but to be, to be doing all this in community, to not just be doing it by ourselves at home, of course there is place for our pra- private and personal prayer, um, but there is so much value that Christ is pointing to when we pray with others, uh, and especially as we pray with the right motives alongside others. Um, so there we have the conclusion for ourselves and as we wrap up i have a couple reflection questions uh, on the back uh, that i found extremely helpful for myself that's a little bit of a bias there but uh, i i think that they again as we follow this theme of this community and communal prayer uh, as much as you reflect on these questions yourselves maybe Uh, bring it up to your brother or sister and ask them some of these questions or uh, pray with them. That's one of the suggestions that I have um, because of what Christ has called us here to do. Uh, We have discovered many, many rich truths in this Lord's Prayer. Um, And as a response, hopefully, naturally, your response is you just want to share and talk about these rich truths with your brothers and sisters. You want to encourage each other to have the right motives the right heart postures as we pray Um, and in that sense and by those avenues that god's name would be hallowed his will would be done um, and his kingdom would come Uh, does anyone else have any closing thoughts or questions anything that you want to be addressed again or reviewed All right, if not, uh, you are more than welcome afterwards to come up and ask me things, pray with me maybe even. Um, yeah, you can come and find me. I'll, I'll give you my email or my phone number. Um, but with that, let us close in prayer. <clears throat> Father God, you are our Father in heaven. God, we thank you um, that even in calling you our Father, uh, there is the rich truth that we have been adopted into your family through Christ. Lord, we thank you for who you are and how capable and how holy you are to to answer and hear our prayers. God, there, there's just so much truth in this Lord's Prayer that Christ has offered to us and I pray that you would help those truths, uh, help us to be saturated in those truths. Help us to see uh, what they, what how they should be applied in our lives. Help us to see the implications that you have for us, God. Uh, even as we have been mining through uh, the rich bounty that is the Lord's prayer, I pray that the the jewels and the treasures that we've come up with, uh, we would of course, appreciate and adore for ourselves, but we would bring these jewels out into the world, uh, into the church, out into the world, among our friends and families, and, and proclaim these truths to others. God, I pray that you would help us to do these things prayerfully um, and with the right heart motives. I pray for the rest of the time today, and I thank you for Sunday service. Pray for the, the people who are leading and preparing. I uh, pray that your name would be glorified through today. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.